Hello and welcome to the Dinosaur Man podcast. I'm Alex Hudson, joined not today uh, by anyone, unfortunately. This is a solo podcast. Don't worry, it won't be too long, um, but we want to put something out and Andy is unfortunately under the weather um, due to finally succumbing to the dreaded coronavirus. Um, So... His pandemic stuff that he's been peddling for the last two years has finally caught up with him. Uh, <laughs> I hope people listen to that out of context. Um, I mean, the context is I've just made that up. Um, I mean, he has he has the vid, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, tragically, he's not an anti-vaxxer. Otherwise, that would be a very funny, uh, funny turn of events. Anyhow, look. He's fine. He's just not going to be on today. So he'll be back next week. And if he isn't, um, you don't have to self-isolate anymore, Andy. So you've got to come back. Anyway, what a better way to celebrate the fact that Andy has COVID than this. An episode about <laughs> one of one of the maybe worst films I have seen in my entire life. Um, so... For those uh, unaware, tomorrow, no, sorry, today, um, I'm recording definitely on Sunday, not on Saturday. Uh, tomorrow, Today marks the start of the 2022 FIFA World Cup of football. Um, what an exciting time it is. Uh, it's in Qatar, and that brings about a number of questions and also problems. And those are questions and problems for another time and not really for a podcast that fundamentally is concerned about whether The Death of Ian Stone is a good movie or if Rat Race can ever be bettered as a comedy. Answer, no, it can't. But what we decided to do was we were going to watch Airbud World Pup to celebrate. However, Airbud World Pup, unfortunately, not available. Um, can't find it for streaming anywhere. So if anyone has a copy, uh, it's too late because this is the this is the episode to tie in with the World Cup. Uh, so instead, I watched United Passions, the FIFA-funded uh, French-English co-production uh, or English-language French production drama film from 2014 uh, that chronicles the origins of the world governing body of association football the federation internationale de football association fifa i mean quite the most boring <laughs> subject however if it's 90 percent funded by fifa you know it's going to be kind to fifa and boy is it ever so this film um came out in 2014 and um, well, it came out in, yes, uh, sorry, it came out in at the Cannes Film Festival in 2014. However, its North American release was on the 5th of June 2015, uh, which was approximately six days after the uh, FIFA corruption case came to a head and uh, there were a number of arrests made before the um, the general meeting to uh, to decide whether Sepp Blatter would continue as president of FIFA, uh, which he then did a couple of days later. He managed to win that election. Um, he was then removed from office on grounds of uh, corruption or alleged corruption. I cannot 
we cannot say anything for a fact here, but what we can say is alleged corruption. Um, so, great timing, I think we'll all agree. Um, so, United Passions, let's talk about that as a film first, because it's very important that we talk about the film. Uh, directed by Frederick Obertan and uh, written by Frederick Obertan and Jean-Paul Delfino. Um, starring Gerard Depardieu as Jules Remet, uh, one of the uh, early proponents of the World Cup. Uh, Sam Neill as Joao Havalange, one of the presidents of FIFA, and Tim Roth as Sepp Blatter. Now, <laughs> um, long film for saying that it's a propaganda piece. Uh, 110 minutes, long long time to be watching. Uh, it feels long, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, it was um, it was released, as I said, in uh, in North America on the fifth of June, twenty fifteen, and its opening weekend it grossed nine hundred and eighteen pounds. Uh, sorry, dollars. Um, considered to be one of the worst films of all time, I would agree with that. I watched it. Uh, the film was also a major box office bomb. Unfortunately, it didn't it didn't do Avatar numbers in the long run. It only posted one hundred and sixty eight thousand on a budget of thirty two million. However, when you think about it. If it's 90% funded by FIFA, propaganda doesn't really come into sort of budgeting costs. So it really only cost about two million. So <clears throat> what what the film is, is a sort of dramatized. I mean, there is a there, there is a um sort of title card that comes up at the beginning that says, um, Whilst the people, um, events and uh, and actions within this film are based upon real uh, living people and things that have happened, certain, and I think the word certain is doing a lot of heavy lifting here, um, certain events have been dramatised for, uh, for creative effect. Um, yeah, and then some. So we open with a field of um, young footballers seemingly just in the middle of nowhere in this dust bowl setting. Uh, it looks like a sort of United Colours of Benetton ad in that, you know, every every country and every race is represented here and aren't FIFA inclusive because, look, this is what football is. At its best, FIFA can can unite the world in its love of football. Um, we then basically tell the story of the founding of FIFA, uh, how the English were very dismissive of it in the early days. Um, there are a couple of scenes very early doors in which the English are painted to be quite the worst people in the world. Um, and <laughs> um, the problem is you're setting up the English to be the worst people in the world, which, you know, sometimes I agree with, but you're also setting up FIFA as being the goodies. Now, knowing what we know about FIFA, I would argue this is maybe not a smart move. Um, so we then sort of skip forward a few years after the English say, no, we're not going to join your federation. Um, and, you know, calling them all frogs and everything. So, you know, really leaning into <laughs> exactly how it went down. Um 
So Jules Rimet then turns up, played by Gerard Depardieu, and just played as a very sort of, you know, loud and obnoxious Frenchman. Um, so he he turns up and he um, he essentially uh, gate crashes Uruguay's victory speech after the 1924 Olympic Games, saying, "Ah, oh, well." It wasn't a real world championship because so and so weren't there, and this country weren't there, and this country weren't there. And he hopes that this is basically going to create buzz around FIFA because twenty years after their foundation, they're still unknown. Um, but the the media ignores him because they just think, oh, well, he's just a crazy Frenchman who's just turned up and started saying, no one no one played anyone good in this tournament. Um, so he decides that the only way to make themselves known on a wider scale is to organise a world championship, a.k.a. Cup, but he definitely calls it a world championship. So um, there's some issues with... Um, yeah, there's some issues with funding because FIFA weren't always rich. Um, and basically, Uruguay contact them and say, we want to host it to honour our 100th anniversary of, of our foundation. We want to host the World Cup and we will fund everything. Hey, sounds good. Sounds like... Um, Hmm. It's almost it's almost like a bribe so that they win the uh, World Cup vote, right? <laughs> Interesting interesting that that could have been the case but of course it's shown to be above board because they have a vote and everyone says yes we want uruguay to host it now whether that has to do with the fact that uruguay have offered millions of dollars to fund the whole thing i'm not far be it from me to say what this is but it awfully looks like corruption so they decide to to award Uruguay the first World Cup, and hmm, surprise, surprise, Uruguay also wins the first World Cup. Now, now on the day they do say it's definitely to do with the football; it's not a fix, so don't worry about that. Everything is above board. Um, what is um, seen is the fact that two weeks before the uh, two weeks before the World Cup, the first World Cup starts, uh, they're still building the stadium. Um, which I would argue maybe still runs true these days, but who's to be sure? Um, so Jules Rimet then remains president of FIFA um, throughout the Great Depression um, and throughout the First World War, I suppose. Uh, sorry, not the First World War, the Second World War coming up. Um, and there's a scene where they are at each other's throats all of the um, representatives from the various different football associations are at each other's throats. And uh, Jules Rimet's, um daughter, whose part may well have been played up in this, I'm going to be honest, because I have no idea if she was as instrumental as this film in, indicates. But essentially, in... I suppose in the mid thirties gets up in front of a room of very, um, very loud, obnoxious men and says, look at you all. You're all fighting. The war hasn't even begun yet. And you're all at each other's throats. You need to unite and become a symbol of good. 
Mm, yes. Mm, mm, this is going to be good. Um, so, Jurme then um, sort of oversees this period of uh, what what we're led to believe is, um, I suppose, a um, a golden era of football after the World Cup, uh, 1950 and 1954 World Cups, and that, oh, well, it's now become a prime uh, example of what you can do with football and how you can unite the world in something. Leave politics out of this. Politics has never been a part of this. Mm, okay. Sure. <laughs> sure it hasn't. Um, so after... Um, after a while, Jules sadly passes away um, and his daughter at his funeral announces that his one great regret was to have never been a great footballer himself, um, not to have, you know, furthered a organisation with many issues. Um, but that's not for us to say now, is it, sir? Um, so we then meet Joao Havelange, um, who is appointed uh, as... Um, as president, he he beats out a, um, a well, a, just a racist Englishman again, um, because why not? Um, and look, that that may well have been the case, and it may well have been that the the Englishmen were awful, and I can believe that. However, Havelange is seen to be well. I courted the African vote, so therefore. I'm very smart and I'm very clever about all of this. And I've promised Africa that I've got big plans for them. Um, Sam Neill plays Jao Havelange and um, just, <laughs> you know, doesn't really try to go for a kind of Brazilian vibe with him. He just kind of plays him as Sam Neill, which is fine, I guess. Um, because, I mean, we'll move on to Sepp Blatter shortly, but uh, it's a common theme amongst these people. Um so yes, he's um, he's basically lobbied the whole of Africa and said, right, okay, well, if you vote for me to be president, then I'll make sure that you are fairly represented going forward. Um, and basically, he inherits a, an organisation that is broke again. Uh, seems to be an awfully common thread here that FIFA just goes through various different points where they have no money, they have no money, and then they run into a little bit of money because someone pays them millions of dollars to host a World Cup. Um, and then they have no money, they have no money. But how can they fix this? Well, they can bring in a young, exciting Swiss man, Sepp Blatter. So Sepp Blatter is played by Tim Roth here. Uh, and again... The accent, don't worry about it. Just Tim Roth will do. Um, and the performance, I don't know. He doesn't feel very slimy or odious. Um, he probably should feel more slimy and odious than he is, but, you know, whatever. Um, so his job is, well, we're bringing in Blatter. He's here to, uh, he's good at finding money. We're not really sure what he does before that, something to do with watches. Um, not quite sure how that means that he's really good at finding money, but, you know, I haven't really looked into his past much more than, you know, the FIFA stuff. Um, 
and he he sets about trying to find money for FIFA. And the way he does that is he's in a bar and someone says, huh, look over there. And he goes, oh, wow, isn't that one of the executives from Coca-Cola? And they say, yeah, but they're not interested in football. They don't really understand it. Hmm. They haven't spoken to me yet. So he just goes over, gets them, you know, gets them interested in football. They they love it. <laughs> Why not? Sepp Blatter's got the magic touch, I guess. So he starts finding all these sponsorship deals with Adidas and with Coca-Cola and saying, oh, you know what? Suddenly we've got lots of money. But where's all this money going? Because it seems to be disappearing quite quickly as well. Now, who's to say where it's going? But uh, Joao Havelange is uh, portrayed to be basically pilfering the money somewhere and sort of appoints Sepp Blatter as his successor and says, you know, we, we want, I want you to be there as my replacement, but I would, you know, I would also like discretion so I can live out the rest of my years in peace. Um, so when corruption investigations start happening, and they do address them, um, the sort of corruption of the 90s um, and the corruption of the early 2000s, basically Blatter is appointed and he says, oh, I'm going to clean up this organisation because this is this is a corrupt organisation now. Um, and he's seen as being quite a controversial figure for this reason because they're saying, oh, well, Havelange would never have accused us of stealing money or anything like that. Well, I'm a different man. I'm a very upfront and honest man. I'm not corrupt. I am Sepp Blatter, and I am here to clean house, get rid of the corruption, and make sure that everyone is happy. Well, it's a good thing he bloody did that, isn't it? Because it would be a real shame if in 2015 there was a FIFA corruption scandal that is regarded as one of the worst of all time, according to its Wikipedia page. Um... So, yes, a bunch of FIFA officials basically get together and say, you know what, Blatter, we want you out. Because you're so incorruptible, we don't want you in the organisation. <laughs> and Blatter goes, no, I have my, I have my, um, I have my morals and I have my principles and I'll be sticking to them, thank you very much. And he retains his presidency. Because he manages to say, well, if you do have anything on me, if you do have any evidence that I am corrupt, I wouldn't be the only head to roll around here, would I? So, essentially, the way it deals with these accusations is them saying, well, Blatter, if, if he was guilty of being corrupted and corruption on a widespread scale within FIFA at that time. Well, he wasn't the only bad apple. But of course he isn't, because we're telling you in this film he isn't corrupted, and he's incorruptible, and he's a Superman. And actually, the reason that he's in charge is because he kept the people around who were corrupt, because it's better to keep them closer so he can keep a close eye on them, rather than get rid of them. Now, I would argue if you get rid of some of the corrupt people within your organisation, you might have a less corrupt organisation, particularly if you're incorruptible yourself and you 
bring in incorruptible people that you also know. But hey, I am not a football administrator, so I don't know these things. It's just one man's opinion. Um, so, yes, essentially they re-elect him on the basis of, well, you're not corrupt. And we are corrupt, but we don't want to be exposed as corrupt. Um, and the final scene is them announcing that South Africa has won the rights to host the World Cup in 2010. Which begs a question. Um, if if Havelange had big plans for Africa in the 1970s, what happened? <laughs> because it took fucking ages. Um, but, look, the important thing about this film is this. Sepp Blatter comes out of this looking very squeaky clean. Um obviously found to be maybe not so squeaky clean um removed from his position uh, months after this in fact days after this film was released in the united states and the whole thing really stinks of just it, it you know it's it's a puff piece and it is one of those things where you're watching it and you're going I mean, this is so pro-FIFA that anyone watching this with any degree of critical faculty in them is probably thinking, I mean, this is bullshit, right? This is like a fairy tale thing. Um, so FIFA initially wanted the film to be released in the summer of 2014 ahead of the World Cup in Brazil. Um uh, apparently this film script was completed within four months, which I could believe. I, I could also believe four or five days, but, you know, whatever. Um, $27 million of the film's budget came directly from FIFA, while the remaining $5 million came from the Azerbaijani government, where it was uh, shot partially. Um, so, <sighs> you know, it's... It's one of those films where where you're watching it and you're going, okay, so it looks like a sort of advert for FIFA. In terms of the way it's shot as well and the way it's edited together, it all feels very corporate. And you've made the administrators the sort of the hero, the heroes of the piece, which is interesting. Um, not a common thread within sporting movies, I have to say, but it kind of is interesting. Um, it glosses, I mean, it pays very short attention to any of the accusations. It glosses over them fairly, fairly quickly and with a pretty wide brush. Um, there doesn't seem to be any real attention paid to any real attention paid to sort of any of the accusations around Set Blatter and around any of the sort of more recent corruption um, or alleged corruption, but also proven. So the director says that he's inserted, that he inserted ironic parts into the film. I mean, unless the whole thing is an ironic part, I'm not quite sure where. 
Um, it just feels like it feels like one of those things where you're watching it and you're going, so who's this for? Because if you release this ahead of the World Cup in 2014, I could imagine that maybe it would have played well in the um, FIFA AGMs and things like that. Not really sure what the audience is for outside of that. Um, is it misguided? Yes. Does it ever have any intentions to be a film that people are interested in? Probably not. It kind of feels like it's supposed to... It it knows that it is of limited interest and is basically self-serving, which is fine, I guess. I've seen films that are of limited interest and are self-serving before. I've never seen them quite as... Um, it it just feels very celebratory of FIFA and of particularly Set Blatter, which I think is very hard to reconcile with when you look at the events that have happened post this, but were happening pre this as well. Um, it does feel yeah, it feels sanitized and it feels quite clean cut, and the problem is. I watched it and I kind of went, mm. the issue here is it's not even, oh, this is laughably bad or this is so bad it's good. It is just bad. Um, and I've got to the point where I'm thinking, well, I'm quite glad that Andy's come down with an illness because it means that he hasn't had to watch it this week. He did message me saying he feels like he should as an apology. I've told him not to. If he does it now, I'll be furious. Um it's uh yeah it's rough so all of this to say the the world cup is starting now whether or not you believe it should have been awarded to qatar or you know whether fifa should be in charge of running football <laughs> watch it if you want the world cup that is not um not uh united passions don't watch that um Watch the World Cup if you want. Some people will be, some people won't be. Some people seem to be very concerned about the um, the human rights issues around the uh, around the host nation, uh, or alleged human rights issues around the host nation, and that's completely, you know, I'm no international football fan, so it's not exactly high on my agenda. I have to say, there's quite a few documentaries that have come out recently that I'm going to catch up with, but. If you watch it, then I hope you enjoy it for what it is, and I hope you get some enjoyment out of that. If you don't watch it and you are boycotting on ethical, moral, political, footballing, whatever grounds they may well be, then I respect that as well. I respect either opinion. You can do whatever you want. I'm not here to tell you whether to watch the World Cup or not. What I am here to tell you is, uh, United Passions is a big fat would not recommend from me. And if we, if we'd been doing the podcast, in fact, came out in 2015, could I retroactively change my worst film of the year? So I think 2015 was the year that Pixels was our generally accepted worst film of the year. Was mine Mrs. Brown's Boys the movie? 
I feel like it might have been. If that was the case, I'm retroactively changing my worst film of 2015 from Mrs. Brown's Boys, the movie, to United Passions. Because propaganda should not a film make. And yet here we are with a nearly two-hour-long film. And what a day. Anyway, look, I'm not going to take up any more of your time. This is only a a quick episode, a quick episode, if you will, Um, while Andy's away. um, We will be back next week, probably in news and reviews, I imagine, at that point. Um, As always, you can find us on Twitter at DinosaurMan15. Maybe not for much longer. Thank you, Elon. Um, And... Johnny Neves did the theme song. This time it was, uh, I guess, like a FIFA World Cup tune, probably. Um, I have been the host. Andy, you have not been here, so you have not been the host. This is going to be weird when you listen back to this now. Um, And as always, yes, I've already said that, haven't I? Andy, you've not been the host. I have. Thank you, Alex. You're welcome. Uh, And until next time, if you're going to start an administrative organisation in order to uh, lead global football efforts. Try not to become corrupted in the process. Dinosaur. Dinosaur man.